down the stretch they come in the NBA regular season for the 21-22 season as we're talking about the final week of the NBA's regular season as we head into the play-in tournament week. Next week, the final weekend is here. The Kansas Jayhawks have won the NCAA championship 72-69 over the North Carolina Tar Heels. We're here to talk about it on episode 29, season 8 of the Hooper's Log here on April 5th, Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. That is right. We are talking about what happened last night in the NCAA championship along with talking about this last week of the regular season. Okay, so the NCAA championship, real quick, before we get into the final week of the NBA regular season, was fascinating from multiple angles, perspectives, and iotas because... Obviously, North Carolina went up big and played phenomenal in the first half. They played not perfect because obviously both teams struggled from the field. But in regards to not turning over the ball, in regards to taking advantage of mistakes, in regards to you know doing everything else outside of shooting the ball well, they did. And defensively, they played great. And like Charles Brookley said at half, Kansas came out with a really, really poor game plan. They just wanted to give the big man, have him, you know, feed him inside, see what he could do and dominate. That, that wasn't the case. North Carolina could match them big man size uh, in, in the paint for all of the first half. And I think Kansas realized that real quick. And I think everything that Charles Barkley was saying at half is exactly what Bill Self said. He said, this is your guard. This is the guards game. If you guards can't get us back into it, no one can. And obviously that that light switch changed quickly in the first 10 minutes of the second half. And Kansas basically started the half, you know, outscoring North Carolina by 14, 15, 16 points to make it a one possession game in the final two minutes of the game. And, and, and it, or excuse me, final 10 minutes of the ball game. And really from the 10 minute mark on, this became kind of not an instant classic, but a really, really, really interesting matchup down the stretch. I think one of the things that I think a lot of people thought walking into this national championship, obviously the Final Four just happened. Duke lost to North Carolina on a really, really, really good game in the Final Four. And then Kansas shellacked Villanova. But in the national championship, the last 10 minutes of the game, you saw a lot of the big, big, big weaknesses of North Carolina. And that's not just because, like I said, the first 10 minutes of the second half were big time. It was just overall what it was and overall what it is. North Carolina does not have a very in-depth offense at all. They don't have a very in-depth you know, overall scheme that they put together. It is just get a bucket, find a way to figure it out, and get it done. And that's what they want to do as a unit and as a club. And if they can't get that done, then they're very, very unsuccessful defensively, offensively, and in every single category that you can envision. And you saw that in the second portion of the second half. You saw Kansas get comfortable back to what they were their whole regular season. You saw everything that they wanted to put together do. And you saw their guards dominate the way they wanted. You saw their big man get points when they needed to. You saw everything Kansas wanted to do in that second portion of the second half. And North Carolina did what they could to answer and to, and to come back and to play hard. And they did. And they had a shot to win. But it came down to detail. And that's one of the big things about college basketball is detail. And the more detail you have, you can play well. You can do all these things. You can get hot. You can do everything in the book that makes college basketball fun from an entertainment perspective. But if you don't have the intrinsic, in-line, over-the-top detail, you're not winning a chip. And that's exactly what happened in North Carolina. Everybody's saying, oh, North Carolina choked. They were up 15 and a half. No, 
they ran into a buzzsaw because Kansas can beat everybody in the country at any time, at any place, at any arena, any venue. They know exactly what they want to do. They know exactly how they're going to dominate. They know exactly how they're going to play. And that conversation and that responsibility that Kansas puts together and does from a consistent perspective, they honestly will always beat teams and always play teams at the level that they want to because they're used to getting into those comfortable situations from a detail-oriented perspective. North Carolina, when the game got close, when the game got tight, when the game got 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 ratcheted up like it did late in the game, outside of hitting late shots and, 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 and opportunistic plays, they ran into a nightmare situation because Kansas could do it all from every single detail-oriented perspective. And they looked comfortable in that role. They looked ready in that role. They looked poised in that role. Whereas during the late portions of the game, North Carolina looked frantic on the offensive side. They looked rushed. They looked like they were off. Now, granted, they just gave up a 15-point lead, so maybe they felt a little frantic anyway. But now championship games usually go is games go slow. Games start off real, you know, everybody's very, everybody's very jittery. Everybody's very, you know, off and on. But overall, everybody is trying to get their feet wet and figure it out. And I think Kansas was really putting together a game plan in the first half to figure out what they could do against North Carolina, and everything that happened didn't work. So they just went back to what they know how to do because they had no other choice. I mean, they're down 15 at the half. At this point, you just got to try and do what you can. And I think they just said, no pressure, play your game, do what you want, let the guards roll, and if it doesn't work, then we lose. And that's exactly what happened, and they came out and beat them. And then, like I said, when the game got tight, when the game got close, you saw the differentiation and the difference between a Kansas, a very experienced, very good, well-coached Kansas team compared to a young, up-and-coming, figuring-it-out, talented team in North Carolina, who obviously got to the championship for a reason. They beat some very, very good teams on their way. They beat Baylor. They beat they beat UCLA. They beat uh, Duke. They have beat some very, very, very good teams to get to the chip. They are not a slouch by any means. They caught fire at the right time. They played great basketball at the right time. But let's just be 100% honest. They just don't have the level of ability, detail, and talent as a Kansas team overall. They might have the talent as Kansas, but they do not have the overall depth in regards to detail and how they play both ends of the floor. And that's what Kansas showed in the second half, especially in the second half of that second half. You know, the last the last ten minutes of that game, that was where you saw all of it ratchet up, and you saw really the championship experience come into Kansas's play. I mean, they were a team a couple years ago, if it wasn't for COVID, that were heavy favorites to win the chip, and it all got slashed and put below them. They put it together tonight, the night before, you know, I'm recording this after the game, obviously, and they did it. And they're champions for, they're a very worthy champion. They deserve to be here. I picked them in my bracket to get to the championship. I picked them to lose to Gonzaga. But honestly, if it wasn't for the, the hometown, you know, favoritism from the fact that I live out here in the Pacific Northwest, I would have picked Kansas to win it all. And I'm not saying that to be a homer. I'm just saying I, I that's just honestly what I thought was going to happen. And kudos to North Carolina for playing their absolute butts off against one of the best teams in the country. They did it the whole tournament. They played everybody well who was good, who was in front of them. They were a very, very, very good all-time eight seed in the NCAA tournament. They might be, outside of the team that won a chip as the eight seed, uh, I don't know how long ago, but they might be the greatest, most talented eight seed of ever, all time. 
I mean, that is how well they played, if not the most talented, the hottest eighth-seeded team ever to play in the tournament. They looked incredible. They looked incredible. And I got to give them all the props that I can because them getting this far, them doing what they did with the talent and the team that they have, kudos to them. Okay, let's get to the second half of the NBA regular season and talk about where we are in regards to the entire landscape of what's going to happen here over the next week. It is a gigantic week, as we all know, in the NBA. I wanted to start off with one thing because I think it's the biggest topic that everybody is talking about right now because it's a legitimate topic to discuss, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. My San Antonio Spurs, I'm going to sit here and just be 100% honest with you. No BS, no fluff, no nothing. My San Antonio Spurs are not a team that is worthy of being in any kind of conversation of a playoff team. This is not what they do. This is not where they are right now with where this organization is. This is not the kind of team that they are. If you would have told me six months ago that the San Antonio Spurs were going to be a better team than the Los Angeles Lakers, and I don't care injuries, age, it doesn't matter. It's all-encompassing. The Lakers should not be where they are, period. It doesn't matter if injuries happened. It doesn't matter if guys got hurt. It doesn't matter if guys played like crap. It doesn't matter if guys got old. This organization was a championship organization less than two years ago. And for them to be in a spot that they are right now is some of the most embarrassing stuff you could ever write in the history of the NBA. We are 75 years into this thing, and they look like absolute dog garbage on every single night over the last month. They have looked terrible. And in games where they win, they still find a way to look terrible. And... I cannot emphasize this enough. People are talking about this being the most embarrassing uh, choke job, uh, screw up in NBA history. I, I disagree. I think the 2012 Lakers were way bigger of a choke job. They were seen as heavy favorites when they got Steve Nash and Dwight Howard to match with Kobe Bryant because remember, two years prior, three, two, three years prior, they won the chip the way they won it from an organic perspective and, you know, picking up guys here and there. But they weren't a super team back in 2010 or 2009. That was Kobe with Pau Gasol and a couple other dudes who came into the fold and, and helped them carry the, carry the load. But this squad has four Hall of Famers on it. Melo, AD, LeBron, Russ. I know Carmelo is burnt. We all know that. We all know street clothes Anthony Davis is what he is. LeBron James is having a phenomenal year. There is no blame to go on the back of LeBron James. Well, Chris, you, you, you're a flip-flopper. You're flip-flopping for LeBron. I'm not. I'm Listen, if you're banking on a 37-year-old to carry your squad, which the Lakers clearly weren't this year, then you clearly have no idea what you're doing as an organization. They did not come out here and just plan on LeBron to carry them to the playoffs. That was not the goal. The goal was for Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo, all the other guys you can envision on this squad who've been on the team all year long to play as a team and as a unit together to get them to the playoffs, to be a successful, fun, you know, high level, you know, mid 50s winning, potentially 60 win team. And that is not matriculated in any which way or fashion. And it's in the conversation for being one of the most embarrassing choke jobs in NBA history. I don't think it's the greatest one. But if you want to throw it in the top three, top five, it's in the conversation. 
They are two games back of the San Antonio Spurs. And there are, for both teams, if I'm not mistaken, how many games left? Four? Four games left for both teams? I think the Spurs also have the tiebreaker, if I'm not mistaken. So all the Spurs have to do is win two games. And they make the play-in. And the Lakers miss everything. With the new setup and the new system of the NBA, from that perspective to not make the play-in, where it almost seems like damn near every team in the league now makes the playoffs. 20 out of 30 teams can make the playoffs now. Have a chance, a legitimate chance. That might be the the nail in the back for everybody who is in the front office for the Los Angeles Lakers organization. That might be it. Because that is unacceptable. Like I said, everybody's thrown it on LeBron. You're, you're, you're flat out ignorant. This has nothing to do with LeBron James. He is doing all that he can. His statistics overall, you can make the debate, are empty. They're very reminiscent of Russell Westbrook in his MVP year. Very empty for the most part. You can make the debate that a lot of what LeBron is doing is to just kind of keep himself relevant. But he's all he's doing is all he can do. So what? Can, how can you ultimately blame him? It's not his fault. If his guys don't show up or if his guys don't play well, how does that fall on him at the end of the day? He didn't construct this team. He didn't blow up this team. He didn't do anything to change. He's trying to win a championship every single year. And everything is crumbling around him. Everything. It's ironic because there's been so many rumors and things tied to him over the years and over time regarding teams blowing up and chemistry and all these other things. So it's funny that that's the case. But at the same time, like I will never, like from a historical perspective, I will always hold other things in his career over his head more than this. The breaking of his hand in the 2018 NBA Finals after game one, the missing, the, the not winning the championship in 2011, the, you know, we're going to win not five, not six, not seven, the decision, um, you know, his antics on social media, his political stance and the things that he believes in, but then backs out of his cowardness for, for certain things that he does. Those are things I will hold more against him than the fact that he couldn't help his team get to the playoffs or the plan. You shouldn't bank on everything for a 37-year-old to do. Nobody in the history of the game has been the guy at the age of 37. That's not a legitimate thing to do for this guy. He might still be a top five player in the league. He might be fringe, but he might still be top five player in the league from an overall perspective. If he doesn't get first-team All-NBA, he's damn well going to get uh, second-team All-NBA, and it's going to be deserved. But that doesn't mean that he should be allowed to or should have the ability to carry his team all the way through to a championship at this point in his career. That is absolutely insane. And I think anybody who thought that that was going to be the case this year is absolutely blinded by, by nothing. I have no idea what they're looking at because this team was stacked coming into the year. Absolutely stacked from a from an overall depth perspective. And it absolutely blew up in their face. The one thing I said before the year that I didn't think would matriculate in the regular season because I thought they as a squad would be able to, to balance each other out with their talent 
everybody could come in and play 20, you know, 15, 20 minutes of, of really good basketball and then go sit on the bench. Most elite players at this time, you know, at like Giannis and guys like that who are in the prime of their career right now, can play 30 to 35 minutes of absolutely in elite basketball, sometimes 40 minutes of absolutely elite basketball. But to expect it every single night from LeBron at 30, 35 minutes a night at his age is unfair, asinine, insane. I thought them as a unit could do everything together, play well and do it, and it didn't. And I thought where they would flame out, and I even got criticism for this before the year, I thought where they would flame out would be in the playoffs. First round exit, they're not going to do it. If not, potentially second round exit. That was my prediction. They weren't going to make the Western Conference Finals. And if they did make the Western Conference Finals, it was going to be by a, a, a hair and a prayer. They weren't going to get there because they were getting lucky. I thought they would flame out in the playoffs because there's no way that those guys at their age and where they are could get to that point and play to that level all the way through, especially with Anthony Davis's history of being injured. There's all these factors. Things were going to creep up on them. I didn't think they would creep up on them by the All-Star break because, honestly, ever since the All-Star break, this team has been burnt. They have looked like pure garbage, and it is, it is kind of despicable from an overall perspective. Like I said, I think the only guy you can step back and say who's actually put all their effort in and all their marbles in is LeBron James. Everybody else has just been hurt, been inconsistent, been poor at best. It's been ridiculous, to put it frank. Huh. Frank Vogel himself has looked horrible. And I'm a big fan of Frank Vogel. He has looked terrible. That's really frustrating to say because I've been a big Frank Vogel fan since back in his back in his Indiana days. Big Frank Vogel fan. He absolutely flailed out this year for his team, for his organization. This is going to be an absolute what do they do offseason to figure this out because they're going to have to develop tremendously this offseason just to even have a shot at being considered for a championship. Think about the, 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 the narrative switch here. Golden State, a year ago, played the Lakers in the play-in series, and the Lakers and Golden State played one another, and it was a phenomenal play-in game. The Golden State Warriors now are legitimately a top-four team. I mean, over these next couple of couple of days, who's to say that they don't struggle and drop back further? I mean, they're not a guaranteed first round of the playoffs, you know, team to have home court advantage. I mean, they're a three seed right now with 50 wins. Dallas 49, Denver 47, Utah 46, and even Minnesota has 45. Minnesota could go on a streak here. Everybody else goes on a losing streak. They could find themselves at a fifth spot. And that's where we're sitting right now. Fifth or fourth spot. Not a fourth spot because Dallas is already going to get there. But you get my point. Phoenix is the favorite. They're fine. Memphis is fine. I don't think whoever comes out of, honestly, whoever comes out of the Western Conference playing, Minnesota, Clippers, Pelicans, Spurs, they're not going to have a shot at Memphis or Phoenix. Both of those teams are playing lights out hoop, and they have been doing it all year long. Memphis has come on strong over the last, I'd say, outside of the first month. They have looked absolutely phenomenal. But Golden State's a very solid team as well. Dallas has come on strong. I don't I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what to think of Dallas yet. They are a they remind me so much of the Russell Westbrook Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't know what to think. 
They're talented. They're decent. They're fun to watch with Luka, but I don't know if they are a team that I can believe in to do big things. Denver, I think, is a very, very big dark horse. They're a team where I look at them and I say, oh my God. And coming down the stretch, Golden State, Dallas, Denver, Utah, you know they're going to be jockeying for position. Same with Minnesota. They're going to be jockeying for position to get some kind of matchup to where they want to be and where they want to get to. I don't know how that's going to work because every single team in the Western Conference outside of the play-in, maybe minus Dallas, because Dallas is a big question mark for me, they could all, quite honestly, represent the West. I don't think it's that easy. I think Phoenix is the class of the West, and it's not even close in my opinion. But if they stumble which is very hard to say when it's weird to hear coming out of my mouth because Phoenix, to me, is the most assured thing coming out of the West this year, more than any other year outside of the years Golden State went undefeated, or, you know, basically went five in a row to the Western, you know, to the NBA championship. Outside of those years, looking at, looking at Phoenix this year, they are so, to me, so guaranteed to get there. That it's hard talking about these other teams and saying that they've got a shot. But if they if, if Phoenix slips up, Utah's got a shot. Denver's got a shot. Golden State, we know what they can do. And Memphis, obviously. All of them have a shot. But I don't think any of them are going to stumble against anybody coming out of the plan. I don't think any of them are going to struggle coming out of the plan. At all. The Eastern Conference. We look at the Eastern Conference and it is up in the air. I mean, they've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. You look at you look at Miami, they're the one seed right now with 51, Boston at 49, Milwaukee 48, Philly 48. Listen, Chicago and Philly first round, if that happens, even if it's Toronto, is going to be fascinating. Whoever has to play Philly in the first round, if, if it shakes out that way, it's been that way for a couple weeks, even though they've been changing and changing, and, you know, things have been going off and on. Whoever plays Philly in the first round is going to be a fascinating, fascinating watch. I think whoever has to play them with Harden, Embiid, that whole squad, that is going to be one where you sit back and you watch and you say, okay, how is Philly going to do now with the adjustments, with the changes, with the intensity, with the chemistry? How is it all going to work now based on how they have developed and changed as a unit? How are they going to respond as we move forward in very, very, very critical time periods of games. This is why I think Philly's a pretender. Because when you look at them and you look at their overall structure and what they are right now, they are a very, very new ingredient. I don't want to talk about food right now, but if you talk about them like we're talking about you know, a, 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 a cooked meal, we just got the ingredients out. We just got the ingredients out. We just turned the oven on. Like... This team needs an entire offseason to figure it out. This team needs an entire, you know, entire season to really know what they've got. They've only been together for really a month and a half now. And with health and with other things and who knows with the regular season, I don't know what to think of them. Can they win a championship? Yes, they can. But do I believe it? No, I think they're a pretender. I said that about a month ago. I think Philadelphia right now is a pretender. Boston has been hot since MLK Day. They have been absolutely on a tear. Miami could win a chip. Milwaukee could win it back-to-back. 
Chicago is starting to kind of fade on me, and Toronto, I think Toronto's one of them serious dark horses. But again, everybody's talking about Brooklyn and, you know, and them coming out and, and doing what they're going to do and, and making it. No, listen, Brooklyn is incredibly good, but they just lost Ben Simmons for the entire year. So do you really think that Ben Simmons, with him not being there, with just Kyrie and Kevin Durant, are just going to storm through the East? Boston, I think, will destroy Brooklyn as they're currently constructed, as they're currently laid out, as of how the season is played out, I think Boston would beat Brooklyn in a five- or six-game series. I really do. I think Milwaukee would cook Brooklyn after the first couple games. I think Brooklyn will win the first game or so, maybe two, maybe go up 2-0, but Milwaukee would cook them afterwards. I think Brooklyn could beat Philly. I think they could beat Philly. I think they could beat Chicago. I think they could beat Toronto. But they're not beating the top three seeds in the East right now. Miami, Boston, Milwaukee are all going to cook Brooklyn right now, the way it's currently laid out. Now, if Ben Simmons hadn't been Ben Simmons from the offseason until now, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether who even knows anymore with Ben Simmons. If we get the Ben Simmons from a year ago, and he joins this Brooklyn team in the offseason, and they figure it out, and they get it all situated, and they get it all ready to go. Now we're talking Brooklyn potentially being a championship contender. They're not that this year. They have had so much chaos with the Kyrie Irving thing, the James Harden drama, Kevin Durant being off the floor for a month and a half. They have had problems as a unit. And when they come in, when they don't have their stars, they are not good. Clearly, they're a 10th seed right now. They are average when their guys don't show up. That is not a recipe for winning basketball in the playoffs. You have to have uh, really supported depth. You have to have depth that has uh, gumption. you got to have depth that knows what the hell they're doing when they're playing against other teams' depth. There's a lot that Brooklyn has to figure out. And I think it just takes an offseason. It's kind of like Philly. Philly and Brooklyn, those two teams right now, Brooklyn's like... The different difference of Philly, right? Philly is like, we just got the ingredients out. We just started the oven. Brooklyn has been a masterpiece of really great ingredients. But the problem is, is like, there's times where we can't find the salt. There's times where we can't find the butter. There's times where, you know, an ingredient will disappear randomly or, um, you know, the 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 eggs of the of the cake we can't even find or the milk like expired so we had to go out and buy new milk like all these things had to happen for Brooklyn while we're pretty much going through like the 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 key portions of what we needed to see and they have just absolutely flamed out in those regards to show how they can grow and develop for a year can they put it all together at the last minute and potentially go on a big run? Sure. But do you really think that's the case if they have to face Miami or Boston in the first round? And then in the second round, they'll have to face probably a Chicago, Philly, or Milwaukee, dependent on how those seedings shift up. Do you believe that they can play those two teams back-to-back series on the road with theoretically really no bench or no depth just for this year? and compete at that level and win, you've got to be crazy. Like, if they had Ben Simmons, I might give them a chance. But Ben Simmons hasn't played all year. Ben Simmons hasn't played a a lick of competitive basketball since May of 2021. 
We're coming up on almost an entire year of him playing competitive basketball at an NBA level. There is no way that anybody would sit there with a, with a brain and think that that's logically going to happen. How the East, I think, is going to play out. The top four seeds are going to change in the East. I think out West, between seeds three through six, are going to swap and change over these next couple of days. I think out East, one or if not two through two, three, two, three, and four, I think are going to change a little bit. Just a little. Not a ton, but just enough. We know who all of the teams are that are going to play, whether it's play-in or not, are going to be there. We know Charlotte's in the plan. We know Brooklyn's in the plan. We know Cleveland's still got a shot to miss the plan, but they've got to have a lot of things go their way, and Toronto's got to just kind of shut it off. Atlanta, we know right now, is definitely probably going to be in the play-in, more than likely. So Atlanta, Charlotte, Brooklyn. Cleveland, Toronto, those are kind of the last, and maybe even Chicago are the last three teams really to figure it out. But overall, out east, there's still some wiggle room and fixes that need to happen. And also, out west, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think the Lakers are done. I think the Spurs are going to get into the plan. They're going to play New Orleans. And we all know a well-coached NBA team in the playoffs. Anything can happen. They play hard. They do what they're supposed to do. Anything can happen. If my, if my Spurs are playing the Phoenix Suns in the first round, I tell you what, I am going to be absolutely thrilled as a fan. Especially for Coach Popovich, like the first time, like, think about it, him with this squad, this type of team, with really outside of DeJounte Murray, not a whole lot of real talent to compete for playoff games, to go play the best team in basketball, that would be great. That would be great. We'd we get swept. We would get swept. But that would be great. I don't know about y'all, I'm thrilled for the planned series to all play out and to get figured out as we move forward. But overall, how it's all going to play out, if we look at the games moving forward, because obviously now, today, on Tuesday, big, big games, right? The big games to watch out for, Bucks-Bulls, gigantic matchup tonight on ESPN. Gigantic. Could help the Bucks move up to the two-seed give them a shot to play a play-in team, could keep the Bulls from potentially dropping into a play-in team. If they win, if they lose, obviously they're, they're, they're still hanging on to not be a playoff a play-in team. Raptors and Hawks is interesting because obviously seeding, if the Raptors lose, they're closer to being a potential play-in team, while the Hawks, they've still got an outside shot of missing the play-in, which I think they're, they're going to be in the play-in. Miami and Charlotte is interesting from a from an overall perspective. Do they do does Miami want to play hard? Do they want to, you know, overall show that do they overall want to show that their hand to a Charlotte team that they may see in the first round, right? So those are some key games coming up tonight overall in the NBA. Spurs Nuggets is also a fascinating one. The Spurs just gotta keep winning playing them, uh, making sure that they're getting it done. I'm hearing that Jokic is potentially the MVP favorite for the regular season, which is really fascinating. I was at the casino uh, uh, the other night, and I was looking at the MVP odds in the NBA, and I saw that Jokic was the leader in the clubhouse right now from the odds perspective of being the MVP. That doesn't make any sense to me. I still think Joel Embiid's the MVP, just personally. 
Um, but at the same time, Jokic has been so phenomenal that the Nuggets are still finding a way to get better and better and better, which is scary because from that perspective, the Nuggets might be a conversation piece for a championship contention, which if the Nuggets and Phoenix Suns play in the Western Conference Finals, I mean, I'm going to salute to that and say good luck because I got no idea, honestly, because if the Nuggets can make it to that point, that just tells you all you need to know about how great Jokic is and just how good everything's going. Plus, hopefully they got Jamal Murray back by then so then they can play really, really well. Lakers are playing the Suns late tonight. Let's just let's just throw a, a Jesus piece on for the Lakers because if that's if they're not playing well, it's over. Like all the Spurs gotta do is just make sure that they can match the Lakers for a couple of games over this next week. And if they do, they're in the plan. And the Lakers are out. Big games Wednesday. Let's see what the big games are on Wednesday. Celtics and Bulls. Boy, I tell you what, the Bulls have a gauntlet of a schedule. They have a gauntlet of a schedule. They got some tough teams to prevent from being in the play-in, which is nuts because the Bulls were a top team in the East for so long, all year long, and all of a sudden, now you're starting to see, again, things get ratcheted up. And with the way the NBA has been the last month, this level of intensity is so similar to the way the playoffs are that I think if the Bulls keep doing what they're doing, which is the way a regular season, good regular season team does it, going into the playoffs, the next thing you'll see is them just getting destroyed by a four, five, three seed, whoever they have to play in the first round, and they might just get absolutely slaughtered. Just not because they're not a good team, but they've just never been here. When you've never been in that kind of environment for that long or that amount of time, sometimes you just you just get sideswiped and there's nothing you can do. And that might be what's happening to the Bulls. And I can tell you this much, if they don't get it done, if they can't play very well tonight and they can't play very well Wednesday, that might be exactly what happens when they get that week off if they don't play in the plan coming up here uh, over the next week or so because we'll know. We'll know in a couple days if that's the case. That's kind of the big game Wednesday. I mean, obviously you got the Clippers and Suns, but I mean, that's again, that's kind of like another potential first-round matchup preview type of thing. Thursday games, I think it's the last, like, you know, Breakout nights for TNT, Lakers, Warriors, <laughs> Lakers kind of, Lakers are just up against it. My Spurs playing the Timberwolves, again, another big, you know, potential play-in series matchup for a playoff spot. Nuggets and Grizzlies, great matchup. Two teams battling to try and find their ways to move up. I mean, Grizzlies aren't really in a, Grizzlies are in kind of no spot to really have to do anything, but the Nuggets are in a spot where they want to try and move in, move into the, you know, into some movements. Uh, you got the Bucks and Celtics on TNT, huge game from a, from a, from a seedings perspective, two teams that could easily match up in the Eastern Conference Finals. You got the uh, 76ers and Raptors from those matchups. Those are absolutely huge from seedings perspectives. And then you've got the, Hawks and Heat, that's a big one because the Hawks by then, who knows where they'll be in the play-in ranking stuff by Friday night, and the Heat are probably going to be locked into a pretty high playoff seating, so they're not going to show all their hands, but they're going to want to play hard. Hornets and Bulls, big, big. Again, the Bulls' schedule is brutal. Bucks, Celtics, Hornets. You talk about, I mean, you. the Bulls have really got to play their A game this week. If they don't, it's going to tell us everything we need to know. Jazz and Suns. Jazz are going to be playing hard in that one. I don't know about the Suns, but the Jazz are going to be playing their butt off. Lakers Thunder. Just from the standpoint of the Lakers, again, they got to churn. They got to work. They got to get it done. And if they don't, their season's over. By then, they have to win. They have to win everything by that point because the Spurs will play the Warriors Saturday night on NBA TNT, or excuse me, NBA TV. That's going to be a huge, 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 huge matchup. 
for the Spurs from a from a playoff perspective. And who knows where the Warriors' heads will be at that point, dependent on where they are in the seedings. They might be trying to play their way out of a potential play-in scenario. Who knows by that point? So that's going to be interesting. Pelicans and Grizzlies. Pelicans are going to be battling for a play-in scenario, potentially, and seeding and figuring that out. And then Sunday is a full slate of the final games of the year for everybody. Cavs-Bucks. Big game. Celtics-Grizzlies. I don't know about that one. Celtics-Grizzlies is going to be interesting. That might be a little bit of a different or a head-scratcher in regards to who wants to play and who wants to figure out what seedings they want. Or maybe they just try to you know, get guys to play 20, 25 minutes and then let them rest so that they can get that full weekend for rest because both those teams are going to be high top-seeded teams in the East and West. Bulls-Timberwolves, Bulls, again, them Bulls, man, I tell you what, that is a brutal final stretch run for them. Absolutely brutal. Spurs, Mavs, another interesting one. And I think the Lakers will be, uh, their backs will be against the wall or the season will be over by Sunday on the 10th. Warriors, Pelicans on Sunday as well. And then you got the Jazz playing the Timberwolves, excuse me, the Trailblazers to finish it out. And the Suns play the Kings. No one, you know, by then it won't matter. So lots and lots and lots of matchups down the stretch they come in the NBA's final week of the NBA regular season. The play-in series is next week. Next episode on episode 30 for season 8 of the Hooper's Log on April 12th, we will have a preview of the play-in scenarios and the matchups that we'll have, we will break each of them down, each one of them down for you before it all comes to fruition as it starts, I think, Tuesday night, if I'm not mistaken. And we'll let you know and tell you how it should play out and how we think it will play out. The plan is so interesting now because you see teams who come into the plan who have no idea of what playoff basketball is about. They have no idea what one and done is from an overall perspective because, you know, like the Hornets last year, no idea. You know, I think the Pacers, no idea. Like both teams just came in kind of like whatever, you know, we're just here to play, but some teams are playing hard, some guys aren't. You know, it's, it's different, right? It's just a different atmosphere altogether and a different intensity. And I think the play-in is going to be fascinating this year from multiple angles, multiple perspectives, because I don't think any of the teams in the play-in this year have a real shot at winning a chip. Maybe the Clippers, you know, in the East, it's like if the Bulls fall all the way back to the play-in, maybe they could sneak out. I mean, obviously everybody's talking about the Brooklyn Nets, but I just, I don't think anybody in the play-in has a shot at winning the chip. And I'll go on record and say that. But I think overall in regards to matchups and how these teams and the play-in could impact the one and two seeds in both conferences, that's where it gets interesting. How can they impact or give them some kind of a roadblock to give them a tough mental, mental, really a mental hurdle in regards to getting to the second round? That's what these teams, I think, ultimately bring for the journey for the top two seeds in, the, in both conferences. That's what I think the play-in should really be about from an overall perspective. How do they impact the top teams from a mental hurdle perspective and moving forward in the playoffs? I mean, look at the Lakers and, and, and Suns last year. The Lakers were were tough on the Suns last year. And the Suns beat them, but they were tough. And maybe that played into some kind of factor in the in the finals when the Suns lost to the to the to the Bucks. Remember, they were up 2-0 in that series and then the Bucks just ran them off the court the next four. So I'm thinking I'm thinking that that's the angle that we need to start pulling from and I'll probably pull from that angle next week but anywho that's where we'll be on the Hooper's log next week 
watch all of try and watch all those games that you can this week in regards to the matchups for the final finality of the NBA regular season because it, it is going to come down to the wire this year. It is going to come down to the wire in regards to everything that we see in the play-in scenario. And when that becomes the case, it's just it's just better basketball. And with the intensity level that we've seen the last month. It's been phenomenal. All right. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the national championship last night. And I also hope that you find some solace in how the mayhem of the rest of the NBA regular season is going to play out. Have a good one.